0: How's it going guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. You're listening to the Cinema SciShow Podcast episode 212. Let me
1: just <clears throat> clear
0: my voice up, Zeke. <clears throat> sounded pre-pubescent just then. Yeah, mine's really husky. been talking mm. all day. I know, very good. Yeah. You're back at school, Zeke. Back at school. Oh yeah, I wasn't at school technically last week. Well, I was doing PD, but... You are prepping. Yeah, it. all the kids are back.
1: Hey, well so, done
0: kids. You're back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Listen, Listen to your teachers. I know. So they're gonna like. If anyone starts listening to this now, you're gonna be on real. You're gonna be on real watch. But it turns yeah, out we're not yeah. the only. Uh, well, there are other staff members that have podcasts running at the same time, much more different material to ours. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, my old um boss
1: from the old school job I used to work at, he listens to a um podcast about, I guess like um innovation for kids with disabilities and things like that. And just, yeah. and I remember they talked about, and this is not a great segue a great segue would have been later in the show but I remember them talking about the um, uh, what's it called the accessibility features in the Last of Us video game on that podcast Oof. so he linked me that almost 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 we'll get there yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll connect it later but Zeke yes the film of the week we're talking about Tar yes so I'm very extremely excited to talk about this film with you do you have any fun trivia facts about the film yeah For I mean Mr. there's For Mr. There's,
0: Todd Field there's some very interesting um, ones. I, I think this film emphasises music and sound, obviously, yes. being a, a musically-based film. The concept of the film beginning in mono sound mm. and then gradually adding tracks more as it goes along, um, I don't know if it ever... Tra- I assume it transforms into a more stereo sound set, like um st- sound atmosphere. Yeah. I would doubt it would stay mono. It sounded, when I watched it acoustically, like it was adding more in... I don't know if it was the full like five point one experience, but it yeah, been.
1: it's interesting. I kind of wish I watched this up in Whitford's to get the full because they have like a full seven point one up there. Mm. Um, and I, that was ironically what I was going to say. I'll I'll add on to that that fact yep. for you. But yeah, I thought that was fascinating. I certainly didn't notice it watching it for the first time. And it was the cinema five at Luna was where we saw Tenet in, so it was pretty new cinema. Yeah, um, And I, I seem
0: to I mean, but nevertheless, neutral.
1: it's a small one. Yeah, Tenet one. No, I'm so not I don't know about sure I'm a big system. fan
0: of that one at Lanaville yeah, that, yeah. You know, that newer one Not a. yeah
1: fair enough but I, I also thought that was very fascinating because you're right this is a very musically heavy film and I'm, I'm guessing what they do I mean obviously the DCP would be a 5.1 mix but it's yes. just they don't utilise most of those speakers and I guess until later in the film when they start adding those tracks yeah. some of those was really fascinating and kind of the opposite of something that, that Lydia Tarr says in the film where she jokes that well, it's not even a joke she says it straight laced to the uh i guess the sound mixes and recorders like i'll oh, just rec- just do it for mp3 that's all anyone listens to anyway <laughs> it's kind of like the opposite of what they do for this film which i thought I was quite interesting but to add to that speaking of music mm. all the music including cate blanchett's piano uh sophie cooler's uh cello and the entire Dresden phil- philharmonic I guess yes it's, uh, philharmonic. yeah Dresden um was all recorded live on the stage so there you go yeah. so which is awesome because they could very easily could have recorded all that afterwards and sunk it up with the no it's a very authentic film from a yes. musical standpoint which I very much appreciated I wish I really really wish I could have brought Kirsty with me to watch this she is a conductor and I think she would get so much out of this film from the musical technical side of it but like you she's a teacher and was very 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 busy in the last week so yeah. she'll have to watch it another time yeah
0: it's um there's not a lot of hours left in the day no especially on your weekends <laughs> um, no exactly so exactly right i i pretty much get to the point where i'm going to have to get myself to a state of mind where i can somehow watch more than the film of the week which yeah, i did manage yeah. to watch stuff it just wasn't film related so that's all, right. um, all right jake the big question yes does this go on your 1100 films to watch
1: i will i will say this immediately mm. walking out yes. of the cinema I was I was ready to say I have no idea and I can't answer that question until the film ages. I need to see how you you, you know what happens. Like, um, does it age well? I guess is the right word for it because there's a lot of very interesting themes discussed in the film. However, having slept on the film, I'm definitely growing towards a yes. It should be on the poster. Okay, because I think a lot of the stuff I was trying to digest has sort of formed itself, and I, I feel like I understand the film a lot more. Better than I did twelve hours ago, so with, or twenty maybe I should say twenty four hours ago. Uh, with that in mind, I absolutely would put it on the poster. I think this okay. is a fantastic film. Zeke, would you put it on your poster?
0: Um, Jesus, for me it mm. comes to that conversation where it's not inherently a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. But sure. Are there films that kind of discuss these themes better? Mm.
1: So the, one, the one, one. I'm going to keep referring to, and we did it on the podcast, was The Hunt from 2012 Yeah, with Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, that's a comparable film.
0: Yeah, and and it depends which aspects you're looking at. Yeah. If you're looking at it from the, the music, art, that sort of story... You yeah. know, I, I did coin... It made a joke. This is just inverted whiplash <laughs> um, <laughs> where the roles are reversed, seemingly. Um, or we more maybe not even inverted we just explore the jk simmons archetype a little bit more mm. um and that's that comes to mind i really want to talk about the sort of where you find comparisons between armadeus and tar from the conducting oh, point of view oh interesting um i don't know if that that pursuit of art concept comes in there when from the conducting point of view if there is actually mm. a, a link there I do um,
1: remember they, they definitely have that same shot where it's it's looking up at Cate Blanchett and it's like you're getting the opposite view of what you would see a um, conductor usually do and Amadeus definitely takes that shot as well um, or has used that shot uh, but I think they're very different stories because mm. they're bo- they're both using music and conducting and or orchestral music and everything to tell different kinds of stories. I think tar is different because it, it's so much more modern. Yeah. I think mean, Amadeus is a very classic tale of vengeance and revenge. And I
0: think because of the subject matter discussed in this story, mm. the analysing of sort of art, the abuse of power and in and all of that, yep. there's enough material themes, concepts in there to warrant it existing on that list. Mm. Um, whether a film in the next few years kind of tackling similar subject matter... Surpasses it, maybe, or replaces it. Mm. But to this point in time, on episode 212, <laughs> I would have <laughs> Tar of... on my 1100 films.
1: Very nice. Very good. Yeah. As of February 2023. Yes. i see how many Oscars it wins. Now, moving on. Yes. Zeke, you, you've teased that you've kind of watched stuff in the last week. Is it not film related? Yes. What, what have you watched in the last week?
0: So I continued Poker Face. Um, I I haven't seen episode 5 I only watched episode 4 was the only one at last point I watched the first 3 I think Um, episode 4 honestly for me was probably the weakest of the 4 I had seen to the point Um, they're Mm. kind of fun like like I said, I don't really have too much more to add to it. It is actually a really easy... I love these weekly lot watches, and we're going to talk about why I love these weekly models that particularly mm. Stan and Binge are employing yep. a little bit more so, because Stan obviously releases... Two or three, and then go into that. Or I think they released four, and now they're going into the the weekly for the remainder Yeah, well,
1: they, they did that um, for Poker Face specifically, um, and I know Prime, like the boys, they drop like three episodes, yeah, and then and they Bump become weekly. Did it two? I am pretty sure. Okay, season three of Bump. That's so,
0: right. um, I think it depends on obviously the marketability of the show, but I, I like this little teaser and then dropping in a weekly. Weekly. I wish Netflix will start catching up. I really think mm. Netflix is really falling behind. It's competition. Um, I think the model works really well. Um, I honestly just like the weekly model. I just... I think it allows you... allows
1: you to digest it more, the actual
0: season. Yeah, and, you know, we can talk about it a little bit. So, yeah, I I would 100% still recommend Poker Face. It's a fun... It's a great end-of-working-day show to just put (laughs) on. Because it's 40 minutes. It's got this nice, very good recurring... Natasha Lyon is is top-notch. But... Mm. I did also manage to catch uh, the first three episodes of The Last of Us.
1: Yay! There's yeah. our tie-in. It's a long segue, but we got there in the end. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Obviously, um, you know, you've actually been giving weekly updates on this, so I don't yeah. know if you've yeah. caught... Is episode four I, I
1: caught episode four a couple of hours ago, yes. Okay,
0: so... And uh, I
1: will say, compared to what you said about the fourth episode of Poker Face being its weakest, I might say the fourth of The Last of Us might be my favourite. Whoa. I don't think there's going to be a common... Fred, by no. any stretch of the imagination, Especially out of episode three. Well, yeah. Well, I want to hear your thoughts on on the series thus far because you haven't played the game. Nope. But you you know these characters. Well, you, you definitely know them
0: now. Uh, yeah. Look, I had a really, you know, it's it's funny, and I never thought you'd ever quote good game on this show. <laughs> but Jake, you know, obviously as a as a teenager a when when um this this came out, this yep. game, what twenty thirteen. Yep. Uh, good game was probably at its Probably not the peak of its shows, it's probably actually on its slow decline at that mm. point. We were probably actually past its, its peak years. I don't think I ever
1: saw the good game review for The Last of Us.
0: Um, you I know what I just,
1: just noticed, Zeke? And sorry to throw you off. I just looked at... I got Letterboxd open on my computer. It literally says, letterbox, as in tar. Oh,
0: that's cool. What?
1: If, oh, that's sick. It's got that's, the apostrophe it's up nifty. there. nifty. I just noticed that. Um, Sorry. Continue no, that's all right. <laughs>
0: um, I remember the Good Game review and obviously Good Game intercut like, video game footage with its review. Yeah. Um, there were distinct scenes that would play, namely a, a scene that occurs in the first episode, mm. a sequence, a long sequence in which... So I, I come into Last of Us not knowing the full-blown game. I sure. roughly know. Particular, I don't really know much of the plot for the second one, ironically, because I know there was a lot of uproar. The second one's very but, divisive. We um,
1: shall find out what happens in season two. Will <laughs> <laughs> they tackle that?
0: Um, but the first, um, the first game, I had a rough. I had a pretty good idea of of sort of plot points and such. So for me, I was watching it as an educated, at sort of what whatever the middle point between educated playing game viewer and and not knowing anything about it. Sure. Was yeah. Having a rough idea, um, and I have to say, I've I've really enjoyed it. Now, I I don't have the um, obviously the affinity for the voice actors and the, the actors that played the, the, the video game characters. Mm. I'm really watching this essentially just as a, as a series, yep. a HBO yep. series. Uh, the first episode is really solid. Um, takes a, it, it definitely, it's interesting because I feel like it drops. It takes a little bit more time. Mm, it, does. it definitely feels like the first 30, because it's an hour 20 episode or something like mm. that. and, they spend nearly 40 minutes or something doing the origin. I yeah, really well, think. it's
1: interesting because the, the game, it's a lot quicker. They they add a lot of sort of extra meat to the bone in this and sort of build up to how the pandemic starts. So you get a bit more information in this, but that was also meant to just be the first episode, was that prologue. And then because they realize, that, oh, ending our pilot on this moment on a bit of a downbeat as we jump into the future. Might not mm. bring people back. It's just so depressing that it's like okay, well let's let's combine it with episode two where you meet Ellie and Marlene and the Fireflies and like that was all meant to be episode two and yeah. they just merged it together, which which you can kind of tell watching it. Yeah, it just feels like and one giant episode. It's a
0: massive exposition fest, isn't it? The first episode. <laughs> I think it's it's tough because obviously a lot of shows have that exposition and we're never going to reach the heights of a Breaking Bad pilot. Like mm. there's just no show that's ever going to peak that. I think. Um, and it's interesting because I actually find I mean I'm going to talk about like each episode I think the first episode is it's good I wouldn't say it's great mm. by any stretch it's good enough I actually think the Walking Dead pilot is better than the Last of Us pilot mm. but then you get to the second episode and I actually really like the second episode because it's three characters just navigating Terrain Mm. essentially for absolutely um nearly an hour and I think that's really solid because we really start to see the you know the chosen actors particularly um I'm not sure of Uh,
1: Belly Ramsey and obviously Pedro Pascal Pascal.
0: yep we really start to see really I love how slow the uh, the chemistry builds like they're not Mm. they don't become friends they don't even really are friends by the third episode. But, um... I'll say, even by episode four, he's still calling her cargo.
1: Yeah. Like, you're, you're barely getting those traces left, which is what I was worried about. Well, I'll, I'll let you get to episode yeah. three first, but...
0: And I think it's a really solid episode. Yeah, I like the... I mean, that's the one that's directed by, was it, Neil Drummond, who... Neil Drummond, yeah, the second who, one. Who was yeah. involved in the video game. Well, he, and, he
1: wrote it and co-directed the
0: game. Yeah, sure. So, so
1: very, very much the... Guy behind the last yeah and you can
0: kind of tell because like you said obviously those video game mechanics are in there like yeah. Tess, <laughs> not to so spoil but Tess gets like goes off to do just open a door yeah and then you yeah. have the two characters yeah no, which like, is such a video game the, that second
1: thing. episode is so video gamey it's weird yeah just like the crouching behind things they're like oh give me a boost Tess that
0: yeah. like it's, it's all in so there good um <laughs> Obviously, it's I, I really like the way that episode ends. It's a great sort of second episode. But that third episode is mm. just, from a TV point of view... I mean, I lit, legit was crying for 10 minutes straight. Yeah, wow. There was 10 straight minutes. I counted it after I finished. I recollected myself. Right. And I and someone made that joke that I knew when I was watching it. I was like, "This is the opening of up, basically <laughs> <laughs> spread spread out over an hour." And then someone who was not a fan of of it or something, uh, no, yeah. someone I like, I think it was like someone who was like an anti, like a homophobic person. Okay, yeah, was like, "It's just up with with two men," and you're like, "Okay, well, no, but it is up with." two men, men. it's totally that doesn't, that fine doesn't make it bad <laughs> <laughs> in fact it's it's honestly it's one of the first I mean it's the first time an LGBTQ related um entity has yeah. elicited that response out of me so Right, right. It's about two hairy men. (laughs) Um, No, Um, it's really interesting though because it's for me because I know that you know you talked about it last week and you're like I liked the tangent but I hope we don't do too many of these. Yes,
1: that's a good way to put it. It was a tangent Um, and and a beautifully told tangent, but also like is this too early in the show? And I I will say that knowing episode four almost kind of perfectly contradicts that. Whereas like episode four is so focused back on our two leads that it was like, this is great. Like, okay, I feel I feel better about how but, this is all playing out. And
0: what I think I like about the episode, looking back on it, so I can, in isolation, it's a really strong episode just for these two characters and building their story and yep. such. But what that episode teaches us is it sort of teaches there's that, that beauty is still existing in the yes. world, yes. which when you've had two straight episodes that have pretty much just deprived you of hope, like <laughs> they're depressing episodes to watch. Yeah. Um, even the climax to two that has that whole big, you know, moment. Yeah. It's not cheerful. And in fact, the sort of prologue that happens at the start of episode three, before we go into this tangential yes. story yeah. between Joe and Ellie is still deprived of hope. Mm. Um, And I do think that that story, though, is removed from the Joel and Ellie story, does give a bit of... I mean, it does have scenes with Joel in it and and Tess. And we get to understand that dynamic more, because that's a little vague in the first two episodes, Mm -hmm. what that dynamic is. So I actually think it's a really invaluable episode, and I feel like it will be an invaluable episode retrospectively. But as in isolation, it's that... Someone gave the description where it's about two people... In a post in a horrible time of human mm. history, still finding that humanity. Yeah, yeah, and even the arguments they have within that episode has that macro vision to it. The mm. fact that that you know, um, God, I'm forgetting the thing both. That what Bill and Frank. Oh, Bill and Frank. The fact that Frank is so desperately trying to hold on to that past. Yeah, and Bill is the you know um, sort of just this realist, but it's that. Fact that they they need both in this this new world to live in. Otherwise, yeah. you know, we end up having a collection of and that interaction between particularly Joel and Bill is so effective. Yeah, because we we find out that so it's just a fantastic fantastic episode, and it's a legitimately. It's it's probably when it comes to the dystopian post apocalyptic genre, mm-hmm. it's better than probably any episode of walking dead
1: yeah yeah like, I, I think that's a fair isolation. assessment and especially because the Walking war any dead,
0: post-apocalyptic show
1: yeah well that show kind of lost all sense of like purpose very quickly because like yes. once you lose that sense of, of hope then what's left you know if there's no way to cure what's happened i mean that that is the plot of The Last of Us is you know the search for a cure in in one way or another, but it has virtually nothing to do with the ultimate themes of the game and the show. And and yeah, the what you say about like there's still beauty in all this hopelessness with Bill and Frank's relationship, and it's like that will extend to yeah. Joel and Ellie, and that will extend to the entire, I guess, IP if
0: you want to call. So what it What are that. they? their Emmys? Are they Emmys? Is that yeah? Yeah yeah, yeah they'll so they will get, so get Emmys. Offerman, Offerman's getting yeah. <laughs> he's straight getting. You might as well just hand it to him. <laughs> is is it? I mean they're, best... they're both excellent, but yeah, I think they both are. I
1: get I get why everyone sort of points to him in particular because they they of where they know him from. Yeah, and I, I think... think of the founder. <laughs> he's role in the founder. He's great in the founder. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's it's also consistency. Like to be consistently and such a diverse. I mean, he's a comedian first mm. and foremost. Like, yeah. Let's let's wrap our head around that for a second and. I think it's it, it's that perfect casting and yeah it is it is a a, a duet performance like yep. but I think it's the subtle nuances the obviously having this republican character this very mm. right wing yep. person I mean it it's everything in it the subtext the fact that he lives in this crystal white house that just screams like a bush administration <laughs> I will say
1: the whole, like, when I question why this show took place in 2003, or or I should say, um, is frozen in time in 2003, the whole, like, yeah, Bush administration, post 9-11, there's quite a bit sprinkled throughout the whole show, so I, like, I do understand they're making use of it from the political standpoint of 2003.
0: Yeah, I think just to tell a story over such an extended period of time, it is, it is an hour-long version of the introduction to Up. (laughs) I, I find that a very fair assessment, Yeah, but did that 5 minutes of up not break everyone's heart no so. exactly exactly <laughs> so
1: yeah no look i think i think my fears were definitely a little a little calmed down because i do think episode 4 kind of gets us back on track which is exactly what i was sort of saying last week Good casting. it's just a great yeah.
0: it's a solid show it's like i wouldn't say it's like at that point of being an elite show by any stretch yet like i think yeah. at this point in time you we know, i'm going into episode 4 I think it took me like six or seven episodes to be like, okay, I'm really on board with Succession. Right. Um, I think it. Was, I mean, it's that first first major attempt coup attempt. Yep, that yep. really goes okay. Scene, yeah. This show is like awesome. Um, you don't
1: think we've quite hit that moment yet? I don't think I've had my
0: sh- my shoe drop moment. Yeah. Where I'm. There's like,
1: there's hey, a few. I actually am kind of curious what that is, but. I feel like especially for me, it it may be tainted because so far there's very few scenes I can point to and think, Well the show did it better than the game does. So maybe maybe we are gonna get to that moment but I'm just gonna be precious about the way the game does it. It's just the smallest little things, is this line delivery and this and so that. So is it just and... something
0: that should never be touched then? No, maybe? no, no.
1: I'm glad they're doing the show. I think it's excellent. I'm so glad they're doing it. I just I'm wondering if it is gonna reach that peak for me personally. Yeah. Well, I'm just like you know, like that moment in Succession and the moments in BoJack and Breaking Bad and all these other great shows. People point at me like that's the moment when I fell in love with the show. I'm wondering what that's gonna be for me.
0: But, yeah, but we shall see. Cool. Well, yeah, I've I've bought binge back too. I think that's yeah, 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 got, got my nine ninety nine. <laughs> I reckon it's the best nine ninety nine. I think it's the best. Subscri- it's only it's only nine ninety nine.
1: Yeah. Oh, I do pay for the binge basic channel. one. It comes up as KO, doesn't it? On
0: on the yeah, it's like stri- yeah, it's like stream motion. Oh, that's it. That's with... it. You're right. But yeah, in all seriousness, I reckon it's the best streaming platform going right now.
1: I mean, you're getting all the HBO stuff. That alone is yeah. And HBO... you're getting it immediately.
0: Yeah, HBO and Succession, mm. which is probably what one of the hottest shows going right now. Yeah. If the hottest, I I reckon it's the hottest show at the moment. So, um, pick up your game, Netflix. Where have you been? Squid Game season two. Really? <laughs> did you hear they did a reality thing for Squid
1: Game? Like, Whoa, like people like, did Squid Game things and they filmed it as part of a reality oh. show? And apparently it was horrible. Apparently it was inhumane conditions people were working under.
0: I wonder why. Maybe because it was a dystopian game show. <laughs> oh,
1: goodness. We shall see. Well, um, frankly, that's the only thing I've seen was that fourth episode of The Last of Us.
0: And the film of the week. And the film of the week. Beautiful. Got any career updates for us?
1: Um... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Skin and Blisters fundraiser is now finished. Yes. Concluded. We raised $1,320. So that is a that great is effort. A, a number I'm very happy with, and I, I'm very grateful to everyone who contributed, the 18 people who contributed. That's like, that's like $73, $74 average, which is a very generous amount of money mm. to give us some, some random-ass Aussie film. <laughs> it's going to be a great film, though. Oh, I'm very excited. We're just sort of putting together the schedule for the last bits and bops we need to shoot reckon it's be about another day and a half so um, what we should see but at this rate it's tracking to be definitely finished and hopefully playing at some festivals later this year very exciting that is very exciting
0: Zeke yes you
1: got a little accolade yourself in the last week I
0: did yeah so one of the films I worked on um, it's a power play production called puncture came mm-hmm. finished up uh, what end of 2020 start of 2021 uh it's definitely
1: after covid i remember yeah. that
0: got selected for the uh, direct monthly online film festival very so, nice so uh yeah so that's my what third film that's i've been a part of that's gotten into something
1: yeah um pretender cradle yeah so yeah, that good.
0: one that one i was a first assistant director on and much like your film and yeah and there you go keeping the traditions. Like- and yeah so <laughs> let' let's get that streak to two get your film in <laughs> um, and uh, an editor it was the editor That's that right one. yeah so and to be honest I'm not gonna lie very happy with the edit for that film yeah. given all of the production context behind that film sure. um, yeah there was a lot of stories that come out of that film so hopefully um, some good news for that film definitely we'll try and pop it into a couple more festival. Uh, festivals or attempts this year but yeah. I think I'm at that point where it was I felt like it deserved at least one festival. Sure. I think it's now back to wanting to write my own in and onto the next project. Oh, excellent. Hopefully something in the works this year would be really nice. And make it in January. Yeah, well We've that's it. I know, I doesn't mean it has to be done or anything this year. I can easily wait till next year it doesn't bother me. I'm literally a graduate teacher, so <laughs> why why would I kill myself over all of that stuff, you know? So, yep. um, honestly, it's about, you know, focusing on that part first and foremost, and just facilitating sort of all my um, friends around me who are making stuff. So, um, much like you, that was a lot of fun during the break, and I'm sure mm. we'll have, hopefully maybe we'll have a cinema sideshow uh, Skin and Blister Episode where we can, like, bring some of the crew on and yeah. cast and crew on to... Actually, I didn't even think... It could have be- a full debrief.
1: I was thinking, like, I don't know when, I guess around the time when the film becomes somewhat available to view, if it was, like, a local festival or something, it would yeah. be cool to have a few weeks where different people from the crew come on. Yeah. But maybe just, like, one big episode where we just yeah, have them...
0: Two yeah. or three people on it and... Just go to it. town. But, yeah, that could be it, too. Could do it over mm-hmm. over the course of a, of a period of time. But, yeah, um... Then we can talk about more the uh, the behind-the-scenes sort of work and all mm. that stuff because it's, it's a very fascinating film to sort of talk about. And hopefully, yeah, in the next year, I'd really like to... I've had a couple of ideas I've really wanted to do. So hopefully, uh, definitely the last month has been sort of a re-spark of media mm. stuff, from teaching it to making stuff. Because yeah. I'm looking at some of my scripts and went, these are really good. Why haven't I written them? <laughs> <laughs> I need to write more.
1: No, it's like but, a muscle, man. You just got to keep doing it, and absolutely. I mean, how many scripts have I written between uh, *Disconnected* and, and, and *Skin and Blister* that just went completely un-unproduced, yeah, unfinished? A lot. That's an <laughs> a embarrassing <few>. amount. <laughs> a few, quite a few.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> but that, it is. That's the way it is. Very excited, so you can check that out on the Direct Monthly Online Film Festival page. That'll be live, I think, maybe today.
1: Oh, excellent!
0: So I'll just check that while we're um. Hopefully, yeah. by the
1: time this podcast goes alive, yeah. So
0: very yeah, exciting. a lot of fun, very exciting. Um, and I think yeah, it's a voting system, so maybe you have to vote for it, or I guess. Oh, selected. okay. So, for like a, for like a prize. I think so. Just like best, yeah. S- film I excellent. Think it is like, I think it can be best short fiction film, which would be cool. So yeah, give that a, give that a watch. Um, excellent.
1: You never know, it might go on to win as many accolades. As Lydia Tarr's career. Oh,
0: that was a great segue. <laughs> but Jake, who's Lydia Tarr and what are we watching?
1: Well, Zeke, this week in the show, we're watching the titular film based on what, her life, the later years of her life, the fictional. <laughs> later years of her <laughs> life. <laughs> that's a layered, that's a layered uh, statement <laughs> I just made. There's a lot going on there. Oh my God. This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching Tar. Tarr. <laughs>
0: if you're here then you already know who she is lydia tar is many things as a conductor tar began her career with the cleveland orchestra chicago symphony orchestra the boston symphony orchestra until she had last arrived here at our own New york philharmonic in 2013 berlin elected tar as its principal conductor and she's remained there ever since Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going?
1: Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise.
0: Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. Set in the international world of classical music, centres on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living composers, conductors, and first ever female chief conductor of a major Roman orchestra. German? German. Oh yeah. I don't know why I said it like a French person. But... <laughs> I
1: was going to say, well, there's a wonderful French person in this film, Normie Merlant of mm-hmm. Portia Valladium Fire fame. Yes. She's brilliant in this film. Everyone's brilliant in this film, but... <laughs> You got a bit of French in there, so I get it.
0: There is. There's is a bit of French, a bit of German. It. Bit of everything. Bit of Russian. Yes. Bit of white folk. Yes. Can't have bit them. Of <laughs> um Yeah, look, BIPOC, sorry. Beg my pardon. Ah, oh, that's it. Um, yeah. I had to Google that, not going to lie. Um <laughs> No, I'll be honest. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. I googled it though. I took the time. I appreciate the effort. Yeah. Look, so a lot of buzz around, particularly Kate Blanchett. Yes. Um, mainly because I think her name is probably the most synonymous, obviously, and most well known with the film. Um, yeah. But uh,
1: well, I, I think you look at Todd Field, the director, who this is his first screenplay that he wrote himself, of which he directed, and his first film in sixteen years. What's his last film? It's called. Is it Little Children? Let me just confirm. Yeah, Little oh, Children okay. from two thousand and six. I've never seen it. I think I've got it on DVD. Oh, that's funny. That was his last film. Todd Field was that was a long time ago. Zeke, we were in primary school <laughs> c- c- playing cricket <laughs> when this guy made his last film. Um, so with that in mind, that's incredible. But to the point, my boss Mal made because he he saw he saw this film many weeks ago, and of course he's very much into, you know, orchestral music, and that, that's his gig every year, and he's super into it and knowledgeable, so he, I really much appreciated his opinion on the film, but he did also say, well, you got Kate Blanchett, so it kind of almost doesn't matter who directs this film at that point. Yes. Which, uh, you can make an argument for that. I, I think the film is very well, very confidently directed. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is the star. She is phenomenal in the film. Yeah,
0: yeah and I think sometimes you... I think someone like Kate Blanchett often gets she'll come back in and and I think it's very strange right because I think if from an American point of view I think a lot of them a lot of Americans obviously her and Nicole Kidman sometimes I feel like
1: okay yeah
0: some they might perceive as a little interchangeable whereas to be honest I feel like one of them drastically surpasses the other with their performance capability, and that would lean more to, uh, to Kate Blanchett over Nicole Kidman. But um, that being said, I, I think it's quite interesting because Kate Blanchett's sort of one of those people. It's like I had to ask, like, what was the last thing I saw Kate Blanchett in?
1: I just looked up, but she was in Don't Look Up. I completely forgot that. Oh, yeah. And Leo sleeps with her. Also no. an equally talented and accolade filled woman in that film. I hate that film. I
0: hate that film so much. Um, it just, just absolutely despise it. Um but yeah, no, this is a this is a great film. Mm. Inverted whiplash. No. It's really interesting. <laughs> I think the film sets its sort of tone in that opening sort of interview sort of sequence, like the opening sequence. Does
1: it not set its tone by the, the opening credits? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like, you you don't realise the urge, the absolute urge I had in my packed cinema to just leave and be like, well, that was a short film, wasn't it? (laughs) And I knew some A24-loving jackass would be upset at me for making that joke, so I I didn't. But it's like the urge, the pure urge I had to make that joke. Because it's not even just that the credits are at the start of the film, but they're in reverse. Yeah, first first AD is like the last credit, which is usually the complete. It's usually the first credit that will come up in the credits. So I thought that was very interesting. So
0: what do you, why? Do you, what do you think that?
1: I think, and I, apparently there's a video Blake was meant to send me about why they put the credits. So I would love to see it. But my my was noticing that. Like, oh well, a lot of the people who generally don't get credited until the very end, you know, the sound mixers and the caterers, and like usually their names are at the very bottom of a credit roll, are now at the forefront. So I think is kind of tied to the I, idea I would, of this I film. I would
0: say that that's a very fair assessment. I mean yeah. it's sort of like everything it's like the 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 if we can identify the reason for it there's always a justification. It's like mm. the you know we're talking about McKay where it's like in the middle of Vice where they go and make that <laughs> parody any credits. <laughs> it's only there for a laugh. There's no real substance to it. It's just like it feels like it's that yeah. Just how it could have ended. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. Whereas something like Fresh where it's happening kind of almost at the, the end of the, the prologue of the film. Ah, yeah. Sort of makes sense. Mm. Um, didn't Drive My Car or something like that too? Oh,
1: I just, it sh- didn't. It had its opening credits like 40, 40 minutes, minutes in. in. It just had that a massive it. prologue, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's not really the
1: same, is it? No. These... In fact, was it... We watched something very recently on the on the podcast that had really late credits. Was it last week? Oh, my God. How am I figuring what... I'm completely blanking on what we did. It wasn't white noise. We have to get white noise in every podcast, Seek. So I had to. What was that, I'm seven sorry. weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. Oh, no, it was Babylon. I feel like Babylon has a really long... Yeah. I think it's like 35 minutes before the title comes up. Yeah. What, is
0: this a new thing? Is this, I guess we, it a, is. It must be a new trend. I guess it is. Um, I don't know. No, I think that's a very valid point because... We're sort of talking about it's like the composer situation, you know. We're talking about the famous composers, the Beethovens, the the um, Barks, and all the that. The Barks, thank God, yep. you knew another one because <laughs> 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 Mozart was he a composer or is he just a pianist?
1: No, oh, he's a composer. Yeah, or
0: conductor, conductor. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a conductor, and um, yeah, obviously we know them, but we don't know all of the symphonies, like the symphonies that, they, sure. that, that were many elements. And obviously, yes, your partner could probably attest that there is a, <laughs> when you're a part of a 30 or 40 piece and that's like, yeah, but everyone only remembers the composer. And it's like, it is interesting. Cause it's, it's like a band complex on, on like steroids mm. because there's like 40 people, not five. Yeah. And that's the same power dynamic. And obviously power dynamics are at the center of this, this film, of this film, yep. the um the discussion on cancel culture is really interesting. Yep. Um, you know, this is just my surface level review. You know, it's 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 quite an interesting thing to talk about cancel culture from the perspective of a female. Yeah, um,
1: that's true. Well renowned female. I mean, the the first ever female chief conductor of the you know the major German orchestra, as as the logline says, and it's like the film opens with all these accolades, and even though we're juxtaposing it visually with the day to day of her getting like all her clothes sort of ironed and stitched, you know, perfectly to fit her, and she's putting her foot on all the the books and the magazines and whatnot, mm-hmm. all that sort of the the down to earth prep work. But audio wise, we're hearing just like a complete laundry list of all these accolades of what she's conducted, what she's written, the egot, which apparently there's like eighteen people there, egots. I think I think um who just who just got an egot like this morning? I'll just confirm that someone got an egot this morning. I don't think it was Viola Davis. Who was it? It um, was,
0: yeah, Viola Davis.
1: Oh, yeah, today. She got it. You got status. There you go. Perfect. Along with uh, Tar. (laughs) I did see that and fought this film. But you're right, you're getting this long list of accolades for this female, lesbian, German orchestra conductor who's done all these wonderful things, has a whole, whole way of people that have lined up just to watch her talk. And be witty and smart and, and just like a great overall sort of posture and stance and performance for everyone um where something like and you can compare it to bojack as well where bojack very unintentionally was a series that was leading all the way along to it to a me too cancel culture movement in the last season mm-hmm. and that was just almost not pure luck but it was just that was just them as writers really going with the the culture and the zeitgeist and what was happening there. Yeah, being right? ear to the it.
0: ground and not being reactionary, but, yeah. but telling stories that would become incredibly relevant and prevalent within the industry. Yeah. Um, exploring that subject matter. And you're 100% right. That is, for them to, you know, that is incredible ear to the ground and yes. self-awareness. To forecast that as early as, what, season two? Mm. And it goes up to season. And it's like the me too movement started what mid season five maybe if
1: that. yeah yeah se- season five went heavily on the whole like you know creepy directors hiring you know women to do really you know just not disgusting roles but like really exploitatory roles yeah and so it was quite late in the show when the real life you know counterparts started you know and the way they gelled it all together by the end where it's like We've been following Bojack, this whole thing, and, and the whole arc of his journey is that he's going to get cancelled. And this is a character from 2014, mm-hmm. when that wasn't quite the terminology we used for, for cancel culture no. and cancellation. But you're right, this is different, because this is a completely different person, and and the film itself was written more in a bubble. So, yes. it, you know, there is ear to the ground, but there's that advantage of starting the story. I think he wrote it during a COVID sort of um, lockdown or break period so it is there's that advantage
0: I guess of sort of reflecting On, I think it's really interesting because we look at the the timeline of the Me Too movement it happened and then yeah obviously because of the COVID-19 pandemic happening there were those big reprieves those those stasis periods where Mm -hmm. you could sit and you know, ponder some and, of, think, and ponder yeah. things, and whether that is, you know, for people that might have been active in that industry or in even in the uh, music industry and such, sort of using having a look at sort of the damage or the, how wide a net that cast mm-hmm. and who, and more explicitly, not like looking at it more broad scope. It's, it is an interesting sort of perception. So, you know, obviously, Todd Field being a man mm-hmm. do you believe the writing and development of having this lydia tar character obviously being a female yeah. being a lesbian but still performing the same sort of exploita- exploitive behavior yes yeah what where how do you feel it's for me i'm surprised this film isn't met with as much like a lot of criticism or how how do you reckon they've surpassed that?
1: I mean, the writing is just so damn clever. I yeah. mean, that's all it that has to be. I really do. Because it's... Because it's, it's not... It, it's, I mean, it's look intricate. at Gone Girl. Look who wrote Gone Girl. Yes. It's like, at the end of the day, if the writing is good and, and the the satire and the criticism is so sharp, and, and I think what's so special about this film, and again, this is... The more I thought about it, the more I just appreciated it, is how not necessarily clear it is at first how uh, manipulative tars behaviors are and and I think part of that is that I went to this into this film not knowing completely but hearing whispers here and there that it is a very anti-woke film and hearing about this great monologue she has in a school to you know college students and not realizing that that's all the setup for a completely different message that this film ultimately had so I kind of had this experience after seeing the film where I'm I'm reflecting on just, like, all the subtle nuances of the of the writing and the things that she did of, like, oh, oh, okay, oh, oh my God, like, you know, this all kind of clicks together for me in a sense. Um, and one of the biggest examples, I don't know how much we want to jump into spoilers already. I don't, I don't know how much of a spoiler this is, but I remember the scene, when I first saw the scene when they're doing an audition and they've obviously, like, walled up the stage so they can't see who's playing... Mm-hmm. So very objective we're going to base it purely on the music and the performance uh and the fact that when tar sees the feet walk past um she changes what she's written down and i didn't realize at first that that was the russian girl yes olga, olga. and i was like oh no <laughs> when that when that clicked for me because i was like oh that's just a that's just a twerk or a, a, not a twerk." a quirk that's like a quirk of the character because she's a genius
0: and she's got all these accolades the and... presentation or something like that yeah, like, yeah. that's what your original yeah it's it's very interesting because basically what this film is simply trying to do is trying to in the first five minutes it's trying to or at least in the first like ten or so minutes it's trying to create this complete and icon this, this yep. success of the world despite all the odds constantly talking about all the odds they had to mm. and how um Tar's uh, sort of notion is that it's got nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman right it's the fact that in order to be perfect you have to strip basically your identity back mm-hmm. and yet or essentially strip the humanity away from the person in that pursuit mm-hmm. of perfection which is the notion that comes across in whiplash however I think that this film tends to really come back to the fact is that we can never really completely remove who we are. And mm-hmm. at the core of this per this this great person is not a human that is completely and utterly narcissistic and yep. self absorbed and willing to sacrifice the well being of other people or exploit the abilities of other people. For their own personal gain. I mean, the fact that she surrounds herself with Mm. between her wife and her assistant and multiple members of the orchestra who are all lovers or ex-lovers at different points in time, but still keep them around because of her greatness, because for some, because it's that power dynamic that everyone simply, much like in Babylon last week, <laughs> albeit in a different industry in a different time, yep. just wants some of that light, some of that accolade. Yeah,
1: and like, I, and I think part of the the monologue at the start of the film, the presentation, I think for the New York Times that she's winning for, is about her control of time, and that, you know, as a conductor, she controls time, yeah. and that's sort of her process, but I think the film is ultimately about what it means to have power... In this time, because she's talking about Bach and uh, Beethoven and all these others and how, you know, it's it's irrelevant to think about, you know, separating the artist from the art for them. Because, like, well, look at the great music they made and how it should make you feel. But it's like, this isn't the time we live in anymore. And uh, people these days cannot separate the art from the artist. And I think her control of time is completely thrown out the window by the end of this film
0: but it's also her control of the narrative that comes Mm. with that and i think that's such a big part and it's like every aspect of tar's existence not just in the music is simply just the vessel in which we see it the most or the or particularly the dynamic between conductor and orchestra because that ends up becoming a microcosm of perspectives yeah um particularly with a lot of the members um but it's in her life it's like you said it's the Per, pit nearly picture perfect um, clothing, it's the mm. structured lines, there's so many structured lines in the framing of shots, and the set dressing is just squares on the squares <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get more rigid and it's like, it's not free flowing at all, it's almost computer like in its yeah, depiction
1: yeah. Um it's kind of like in Steve Jobs when they move into the digital age where everything, yeah, becomes much more like boxed in and clear. It's interesting. Yeah. And even from an editing standpoint, just how long a lot of these takes are t- to let that environment see. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I wonder if this has more cuts than Roma. <laughs> I reckon those two may have very similar pacing, mm. those two films. Yeah. Um, and that even extends, especially to the, the Juilliard speech or the, the rant, I guess, that she goes on, where well, that's all just like one massive take. Yes, and uh, I, I it would have to be a gimbal, I imagine. Otherwise, you would see on all the reverse angles, all the, yes. the 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 tracks and whatnot, or or it's a crane from a roof. I think it's probably a dolly. Uh not dolly, sorry, I'm um, uh,
0: gimbal. It's probably a gimbal. Yeah, I mean, gimbals they can get those big wizard stick ones now, right? Where yeah, it's like Absorb do... all the weight. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> but it's just like letting that. I mean, but that's also an example there of just performance, like having everyone. I mean, it's very Birdman esque, like. Yeah. The, the nerve of having to do that performance and have that many lines, and and she plays the piano as well during during that yeah, well, big one. She up just to
0: relearn it. I, I wonder yeah. if that was. <laughs> I wonder if that was for a film, and if so, what film? To relearn to learn, it. If she had to learn the piano in the first place. Oh. And then relearn.
1: Oh, it. I'm trying to think. Does she play in piano in The Aviator? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe she. Maybe she just knew as a as yeah, a younger person. Yeah.
0: But it is a Birdman-esque is a very valid point, I think, mm. because, like I said, the, it's not just the long takes. It, I mean, it's basically stripping back a, an idol, right? and, yeah. and uh, Albeit, um, Keating's Birdman character is far fallen from grace by the start of the film. Yeah. But there's still an there's still an idolism there, I think, and it's yeah. still a perspective. We're just watching sort of a character that's probably. Later in the film, for Tar, mm. at the start of the film, and um, obviously what we're watching is sort of how that corruption takes seed in in art. And like I said, to the seeing the what a great subtle nuance of the of the changing of the card to with the Olga. Um, yeah, and yeah, then of yeah, course yeah. we start to see little flashbacks of I'm gonna get her name, uh, Krista. Yep. Yeah. Um, in which. It's what's really interesting is uh, I ended up watching one of the trailers. After there are like scenes that aren't in the film. Yeah, no. Oh, interesting! Really I, confirmed... I saw the
1: teaser where she's got like smoke coming out of her mouth. And yeah, that not. stuff's not in there. Yeah, well that that doesn't surprise me too much. That because it's too on the nose. Moment. You reckon? Well, that that just was like such a teaser character profile thing, but it does allude to all the nightmare sequences that that she has many many nightmares and lots of moments of mm. non diegetic sounds sort of seeping into her mind and. And it kind of begs the question: How much of this film is all in her head and all make believe? Because I don't think the film does anything to otherwise disprove
0: that idea. That okay, so, but uh, what do you mean by make believe? Like, well, the ev- it's, like, are we having a Joker world here? What's going? No, on?
1: not necessarily. But like, the, you know, we get many, many, many times where she, we see her in bed. She wakes up and hears a noise, and she checks the fridge or the closet, um, where the. Uh, Oh my god, what's it called? The um Oh, the the metronome, that's, that's it. it metronome. Yeah, the metronome. Like the ne- metronome showing up and the fact that you know, she talks to the daughter like, you know, you're not meant to go in my office and it doesn't seem like it's like something else has put that there. So
0: you feel like some of this almost feels like a, a disjointed narrative. So we're at the end there when she's in the Philippines.
1: Oh, well, I I I don't think any of that is make believe necessarily. Just more the, you know, when she wakes up at the night and there's a moment where she's like in a bed in a pond. I think there's very surrealistic imagery that oh, kind of okay. sneaks in.
0: Yeah, I think those are dream sequences.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's definitely a reality of like, is she actually waking up and hearing noises, or you're right? Is it a dream sequence? Yeah, but there's she's a walking lot of in the bush and hears disjointed
0: scream? musical instrument moments. Mm. I feel like it, it's almost trying to show the fact that it's that scattered mind aspect that the only time. Tara seems to find any clarity mm. is in those moments when she's conducting. Yeah. Because the rest of her life is kind of a shambolic mess. I mean, she, you know, she has a partner that sort of abides by her and is under her thumb, but it's that illusion of control too, like mm. much like you know, if we're taking ourselves cuz this film's so in emphasis on on cancer culture because you know, it's like that moment before the, the shoe dropped. Like, you know, there's all these producers and stuff, and we're talking about Hollywood, all these producers and stuff who were exploiting uh, young actresses and, and actors um, because of the power they possessed, because yeah. of the acclaim and such and such. But there was a moment when that shoe was about to drop, that, oh, you know, moment yeah. where, and essentially what we're catching here. Um, very early on is we're watching this is just the calm before the storm really mm. and everything that happens to Tar with Olga um, was sort of forecast to happen eventually like Sebastian calling it out finally
1: yeah yeah,
0: that was going to happen it's like people can only turn a blind eye for so long and yep. that's when the Me Too movement comes in and sure enough what happens we now have allegations pushing 30-40 years back Mm so ends up sort of yes
1: they all slip out um, once the time has come so to speak absolutely so yeah. I feel
0: like this film is really just taking place so the disjointed like you said the non-diegetic sort of sounds yeah that sort of kind of are diegetic at least sometimes in yep. Tara's perspective it yep. feels like at times is really just sort of the fraying fraying rope mm-hmm. that I feel like that's about to drop the piano on her yeah you know um, because she's kept all of this under control, but it's one too many exploitive behaviours where people say enough is enough. And yep. sure enough, how quick does everything unravel?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's almost immediate because, it, yeah, it all kind of comes at once. And you have Francesca who... I, I It took me a while to realise, like, oh, that was probably her... Every time we get a, like, a little phone insert, which is so brilliant. It's just the, the idea of like we're always viewing things through this digital... Lens mm. and the fact that everything else is blurred except what's in the frame of the phone, and we see it, like, blocked with text messages and bubbles and whatnot. But the fact that that was probably all Francesca's recordings. Mm-hmm. And and this idea, I remember reading, people were saying, it, it felt like she was almost, like, doing this for a long time, awaiting for the moment where she's finally going to basically drop Lydia Tarr and, and turn against her, and just waiting for that moment to arise. And I guess... um it comes with with that suicide. I'm forgetting that Krista, the the girl's name Krista, where, and from an audience perspective, we're we're at the start of the film and we see this amazing person and and we see that she's sort of just dismissing these messages. And and from my perspective, and I think this is is quite a logical perspective, is, oh, it's some random person texting her, bothering her, and, and there's probably more to it, sure, but it's like, how could you pin that on someone who was like like a, a the idol that she was an obsessive fan of until you all those clues start seeping and like the, the whole grooming narrative seems to be true. Yeah. And as and as that and, and for me there were really two big scenes that, that made that clear was the fact that her partner ends up essentially breaking up with her yeah. and taking the kid away.
0: Breaking one of their golden rules. Yeah.
1: Well that it's like there must be an element of truth. If this person who's known Lydia Tarr, a lot longer than us, the audience have, there has to be an element of truth to it, and the other thing as well was I might even, maybe I'll save this for my highlight scene, there's another there's another scene that really cements the idea and again, going into this thinking this was an anti-woke, anti-cancel culture film, because those were the little bits of whispers I heard, and realizing like, no, it is not, it is actually very much framing this person as a horrible, narcissistic groomer yeah. Who probably does deserve to be dethroned of, of her success and her fame. Now what's interesting before I forget as well, is the this idea of her doing this orchestra and they're gonna do the recording, it's gonna mm-hmm. complete the series. It's kind of phrased in the opening monologue as like this is like her final um this is gonna be the final period at the end of her career Wikipedia page, so yeah. to speak. And they mention that it was delayed because of the pandemic. This idea that they would have completed it if not for the pandemic. And I wonder if there's some sort of messaging there that, like you said, the pandemic has caused us all to sit, reflect, and think about things. I, I
0: think it's a r- huge... It has to be a huge aspect there yeah.
1: because... I reckon that's completely intentional.
0: It's. It comes back to, you know, we're talking about... And I'll, I'll bring it back to Whiplash because Whiplash okay. sort of discusses this this element, this frantic, phonetic nature of mm. having to get yourself better and better and constantly performing to... You know, and for, it's Miles Teller trying to become the number one drummer to mm. the point where he pushes himself into a car accident. Yeah. And it's that phonetic nature to pursue the, the pursuit of art, like innovative art, which yep. is where the grand finale of that film is. So if you're talking about the orchestra and what you know, tar expects of each of the performers in that orchestra. Mm. And we see it in some of the monologues and in some of the expectations there. Yep. When, before the before the Earth stood still, which it did in the pandemic, th- they would have just been caught in that flurry. Yeah. Very similar into the, the characters of Whiplash, you know, and this behaviour would have definitely fallen on deaf ears because the world was moving more. Now... Mm. The Me Too movement wasn't brought out because of of COVID standing still. No, I mean, it certainly yeah, it came um, earlier than that. It definitely came earlier than that, but it was one of those things where it was a domino effect. It took a couple of sort of high profile names to be named, mm-hmm. and sure enough, the knock on effect was very quick yep. and very and and massive in scope. And I think what Field's doing there is obviously he's taking his own perspective and clearly sort of um, taking, you know, he's embedding this character. He's looked back on all of these people that have spoken out against sort of sexual harassment and and exploitation and such. And he's then created this character who, what would be like for her, who has committed all of these Mm. sort of innate acts of abusive power, narcissism, exploitation how does one who can see the tidal wave hitting so many other people or the comeuppance finally happening how does one still rationalise that while they're trying, you know, while they have such a pristine perfect perspective Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing here we're seeing a a character that at the start of the film we're seeing a character who has a perfect reputation that knows they shouldn't have a perfect reputation trying to come into terms with that and just impossible. They're past the point of no return.
1: Yeah, well I, I wonder what you mean there specifically about that she knows it, because I, I reckon there is a level of arrogance that, that Lydia Tarr doesn't Realize how problematic she is until pretty close to the
0: end of the film. So, do you think that's a phantom thread situation, like a PTA phantom? I don't know if you've seen if you seen Phantom. Oh, Ready? a while ago. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. Where it's that seen it, um, but... Daniel Day Lewis thing, where he's so innately arrogant and caught up with his right. own behavior that he's. Well,
1: I, I think I think the film does a great job of easing us into like all of the the, the bubbling tension and and um, problematic elements arising because you're so focused as Lydia Tarr is focused on getting this orchestra right and taking care of the daughter like and like, number five or something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which of course is the number on the on the girl in the Philippines.
0: Uh, <laughs> Mahler's fifth symphony.
1: Yeah, which I think mean, one of the, one of the trivia facts I scrolled past earlier was that 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 is the it's the same note from that piece that is the start and end of that orchestra's playing the first time we see them playing and then at the end when when she tackles mark strong <laughs> <laughs> i i spent the whole time being like that's not mark strong is it what's with that hair <laughs> <laughs> um but i i definitely think there's a level of not well arrogance for sure and prestige and and self-interest but that she authentically doesn't realize the effect she has on these bit and the fact that she is grooming them and i just generally think she is so into her own, like, goals. Mm-hmm. That when she reads, like, the newspaper thing about her and she's like, well, pff, this is all completely fictitious, it's like, I think she believes that it's all fictitious. But I do believe by the end of the film she kind of figures it out. Why? is
0: Because she's playing to Comic-Con. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yo, I've never seen such a silent cinema burst out laughing on that last shot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even this, the, the, like, the EDM... Credits playing right. at the end, yeah. like the number that's like so not orchestral at all. <laughs> this film, it's like you said, it's like the playing the opening sequence in reverse. It's yeah. like it's the film's almost inadvertently giving the middle finger to Lydia Tarr. Right. Like it's almost <laughs> no like like it's like her the last thing she'd want is is the caterers being put up first. And yeah. the last thing she'd want at the end of the film is obviously Playing an orchestra, playing for a, conducting an orchestra for a video game at a comic con, yeah. And then the EDM music hits in the credits, <laughs> and you're like, "That's just the one last like stuff." You, yeah, because yeah. it's like,
1: well, the last shot's not on her; it's it's on all the audience yeah. in their cosplay outfits, yeah. But e- even so, it's like the film ends with—I mean, the film starts with a giant audience wanting to see her, and the film ends with a giant audience wanting to appreciate the music, yes, not necessarily see her. I like that juxtaposition there, but that was such a like. No way, this is the last shot. Oh, oh, it's the credits. That's the end.
0: I think it's a powerful <laughs> shot, though. It's great. No, like said, I love it's it. The inverse, yeah. It's no longer. It's no longer about seeing Lydia. Lind, uh, well, Lydia Tarr. Yeah. It it be, it Tar. Yeah, turns out to be turns out to be Yeah. it ends up being Linda Tarr, doesn't it? Because you know, and and when you think about it, that's very true in a sense. Like, obviously, I'm not saying all like all conductors are narcissists, but obviously there's an extent there where you go and see a composer just for the composer. Yeah. Like, yeah. you go see an orchestra just for the composer, so... No,
1: well, it's like if you, you, you see, like, a Hans Zimmer concert's mm-hmm. around the corner, you go to see Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. But if there's, a, if there's a Toy Story... Concert from Wazo, It's like, well, I want to see the Toy Story concert. Yeah. and of course, I'm saying this from a very, very casual standpoint. Yes. Okay. Like, I, I I'm sure many from, like, like from when we saw the Toy Story, Kirsty knew the the conductor personally. So it's like there You know, cool. within the industry, everyone knows each other. So I, there's that aspect to it. But yeah, I think I think in terms of her performing this, you know, I think it's Monster Hunter. She's <laughs> performing for which I've never played, but I, I love that. That's the pick they go with. But yeah, but for an audience that is there for for that and not necessarily for her.
0: I love that quick Monster Hunter plug, right there at the end.
1: Yeah, no, hey, you got you got to get it in now. What I found interesting, and I, I maybe maybe I should have mentioned this earlier, but let, let's let's wheel back to it, Zeke. Is we talked a bit about her own thoughts on the gender politics of? Uh, oh, we're talking about this scene, are we? well the, the the it's not even necessarily a scene that I want to talk obviously we're talking about the Juliet or the Julia scene I'm thinking specifically about a moment when because she talks about you know well, I, I think women have come a long way and I, and I think it, you know generated blah 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 there's that whole thing I'm talking about the the New York Times opening scene sure, but what I found interesting is obviously she's a, identifies as a lesbian, but then when her child has the uh, like a bully she goes and threatens the bully she introduces herself as her father and I thought that was a really interesting choice it's like a subversion of expectation It's mm. like she's identifying as the father in this scenario
0: oh she's definitely the mat. like the mat. like if you have to like you said it comes back to that gender like she, uh, she's saying like we've got to subvert she's contradictory because mm. obviously it's like the stuff at the Juilliard school where she's like you have to strip all identity and, yep. and such but yet she commands herself yeah like a like a man, mm. um, and like a, a masculine figure, even in her relationship. So, with um, Sharon, 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 yeah, yeah, it's Sharon. Um, and like you said, yeah, when when a daughter's getting bullied, and she comes up and goes, uh, identifies as a father, you sort of sit there and go, like, okay, that's an interesting choice, but mm. I think it plays into it because she is so. Caught up with her own ego, that sometimes I think that that she almost sort of sees herself above any form of identity. Thus, mm. that she can almost identify as everything when it suits her. In um, yeah. that theory, what, what was your takeaway then?
1: Oh, I I mean,
0: what's, I, I, what's the implication? I, I
1: definitely don't disagree that it, that she's like a contradictory person in that sense. But yeah, like you said, when you compare it to how she talks about gender politics and identity. In in both the the New York Times speech and then at the school and then and then how she personally does it to a child, is they're all almost very different responses. And that's sort of even the the, the Julia scene. It it feels like what she's saying to those students is almost exactly what the tape towards the end of the film is saying. The the Leonardo Bernstein clip where he's talking about. Yeah, the way music makes you feel, and, and I and I think that was the final nail on the coffin for me in terms of what this film is trying to say. Where mm-hmm. she basically says the same thing to the students, but in a much more, you know, uh, intelligent, egotistical, and and much more offensive way than how Bernard says it in the tape. But going back to this idea of of feelings and how the music makes you feel, and that's ultimately more important than the chords and the sharps mm-hmm. and the minors, as he says. Well, does that not in turn validate the opinions of the people who are offended, who aren't comfortable listening to Bark because of the you know the sexual nature and whatnot? Yeah, I I thought that was such a, a turning point for for me in terms of my interpretation of what the film's trying to say, and for Lydia Tahu, I I think for her it's probably more just a like the brother comes in and basically says hey it's the end of the second act let's race into the third act <laughs> it's
0: ba- Basically, basically purpose for being there but it comes back to yeah it's like that shrugging of of any form of of identity at some points like mm. the fact that her brother has a very southern accent yet she's very astute in her voice yeah well, that's don't... Staten island isn't it
1: yeah that they, <laughs> that's their family home yeah
0: so it's so interesting that they have such you like for a brother to be so it shows that there's clearly a shedding of some layers there Mm. so we almost are seeing yeah this tar persona or this or monster person's uh, been built up, yeah as clearly assembled over this time and yeah what we're essentially doing is we're peeling it back and we're finding out what the core person's values are the Mm. personal values which aren't very good when it comes to Lydia tar no no
1: well what do we think of you know let's jump into the philippines now where she does ask for, like, a masseuse or, a, you know, to get into, basically, a spa, and she she gets not exactly what she was expecting. She ends up throwing up yeah. outside, which, what do you make of that? Because I, I think that might be the key that she is almost a little disgusted with who she's become earlier in It's shame, isn't it? I yeah. mean,
0: I don't know if you've ever seen this, the film, the the Shame film, the, uh, the Steve McQueen film. No. Um yeah it's just that moment it's that absolute rock bottom that self-admission of having problems being this person and really sort of atoning isn't it like i mean she's karmically rewarded for her discretions by having everything stripped from her her Mm. identity this identity she um concocted has been stripped and destroyed and killed yeah put to the put to the sword so what is left is not lydia Tarr; it's linda Tarr. Yeah. and in that sense when she sees that number five on one of the girls and and thinks of olga it yeah. that was that was the iceberg titanic in the iceberg <laughs> moment and that reminder of it really leads to the domino effect of guilt and i mean if to to speak in a real-world context, I mean, look at... It's like what, you said, it's look the at, middle finger to her that the yeah. film is giving her. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, we look at someone like what like Harvey Weinstein, for instance, mm-hmm. and like him trying to fake how old... Look how old and decrepit he looks now. <laughs> that everything's been stripped away from him as a person. Yeah. Um, and that's what this film's, I think, trying to do in its way. It's trying to show that this is the comeuppance for those people. Yeah. Who use their power um, over others and exploit it? So yeah, mm-hmm. what was your highlight it's a scene? Very Jake?
1: very deep film. Um, I kind of spoiled it a moment ago, but I would have to say my highlight scene is when she goes back to the family home, finds the the Leo Bernard tape, and and she's weeping as well. She's got tears streaming down her face mm-hmm. because the effect it's having her. It. it truly is a character change in that moment. Um, because I truly believe that is is exactly what she was saying to those students, but in a much more concise and less offensive way. And that came from, when it seems like with Leah Bernard, a place of joy as yeah. he's there conducting his orchestra. Um, I just thought that was a really powerful scene. Um, even just from an editing standpoint, just shot reverse shot, very simple coverage, just letting the performances on both ends mm. speak for themselves. I I thought that was excellent. What about yeah. you, Z? What's your highlight scene?
0: Um, I quite like the... Look, I could go with the... the what is it Gillard oh god I do want to say Gillard we have Gillard um the Juilliard school. Juilliard yeah the university oh, I could go with that scene I, I do think that scene is a, is a very good sort of almost like whiplash esque moment right with the yeah. leading the the mentor baiting in and then um, but I'm going to go with a different scene okay. um, because I, I think that scene's talked about a lot. And, yeah, you know, there's,
1: there's already a million video essays on that scene. Yeah, that's no, crazy, <laughs> right, isn't it? Regardless of where you stand with her politically on that.
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go with... I really do like the, the blind audition sequence from the toilet, like, yes. meeting Olga, and, yes, that introduction, that blind sort of judgment with seeing that. It's a very good way of revealing that information, and it's funny that... Someone like you who's watched that sequence before and mm. then was that that snippet and then kinda of had seen a realisation later on. But it's it's good and yeah. it sort of is I think from that and then watching the fallout, like the Sebastian outburst is really strong. Like yeah. so that sequence yeah. is really great.
1: Well even just like the layers she goes from initially, you know, oh no, we'll have him on, you know, as part of the agreement, mm. seven years in and then like slowly goes to no nope, getting rid of him and then you're right, he calls her out. Yeah. and she doesn't like that it's great
0: <laughs> so spicy but it, it's one of yeah. those things just the way that scene's paced and how she changes like the way that we move intercut between those that shot reverse shot and then the close ups yeah it's just because you're going like you're almost in that moment like you said you're having this uh, it's shattered mm. the world starts to cra- your perception of this icon starts to shrivel very quickly yeah Realise um, what? Yeah, what you, is actually They go from being a meticulous genius to, oh, they're just a bit slimy. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a little similar to Glass Onion. Is he a genius or just an idiot? Yes. You know what else could have been a highlight scene? Is, and this is great, from because I did see the trailer. I think I saw it on the big screen a while back, so yeah. I know the trailer you're referring to. But the subversion of expectation with her... Like walking, like the you know the orchestra is uh, about to start. Everyone's clapping. She's walking in, but has like this determined, almost angry face on her. And how in the film it actually is because she's going to beat the crap out of Markstrom. <laughs> 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 you don't get that catharsis of the thing they've been rehearsing for this whole film, mm. d- that she actually gets to to do that performance. But but do you hey, feel like we?
0: It, she should have had to do that performance.
1: No, I, I, it makes way more sense that she doesn't. Okay. But it, 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 but you know, that's just film language right there. You, know, you, you keep talking about Whiplash. Yep. Imagine if he doesn't return to the stage at the end of Whiplash. This is true. It's, it's, it's a similar thing. I gotta ask like, before we move on. Yes. There's several big award season films that that we've been covering lately mm-hmm. that are out right now. Yeah. I'm thinking of films like Babylon and The Fablemans and and this film Tar included. Yes. They're all box office bombs.
0: I know. Ten million. What
1: is going on? People not watching movies anymore. I guess not. You
0: know, I think they're all kind of... I
1: I really don't get the Fableman's bombing. That really doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: Yeah, that one's a bit of a head scratch.
1: Like, how do people not know what that film is? Or at least curious to see it? That that blows my mind. Babylon and, to a lesser extent, Tara get the marketing. Or some people might watch the trailer and be like, oh, I don't understand classical music. I'm not watching that. I get it, but... I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'd say tar is sort of understandable I don't really get like you said the Fablemans the Spielberg film um, it's,
1: his, it's his chart it's the film we've been waiting for, for it was years. also released
0: in the school holidays but yeah. perhaps it's it is one of those things where we just are living in a world where the decline of, and, and the Chazelle campaign was for, for Babylon I mean that was whole like cinema exclusive cinema exclusive only in cinemas and well sure
1: but all three of these are I mean, I mean, yeah, they're all bombs. There's that aspect, but then
0: yeah, but uh, are like, is Tar playing in American cinemas or is it available on they, streaming? It they played months ago. On, so yeah. I think
1: it is now on streaming, or not streaming, but you can rent it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, the first ten minutes they didn't. They did a bloody Sony Pictures. They the whole first ten minutes of Tar's is on YouTube, as part of their marketing campaign. No, yeah, they did it for like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of the Spider-Man films. Okay, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I,
1: I've, we we're in a different time, Zeke. It is a different time. It's a sad time. Mm. Banshee's been sharing. Made a bit of money, though. That's good. I don't know if it made its marketing cost back, but it, it didn't completely bomb. Thank God. Yeah. Everyone should watch that movie. It was a lot,
0: though. It felt like we went from no films to, like, a lot of different options. Mm. And then it comes back to that, where it's, like, for us... towards seasons, baby? Yeah. And then it's that time of year, right? Like, releasing it late January... Is quite difficult mm-hmm. for people because a lot of people. See, so I mean, most of your market are people that are going to school. I mean, who's gonna watch like, who's gonna watch this film?
1: What school nah. kids gonna watch this film? Now, nah, well, this film obviously doesn't, yeah, appeal to children, but you know what I mean. Like these types of films used to make bloody millions and millions.
0: Used yeah. to kill it you like the Matt Damon? Is it, is it Avatar maybe sucking up?
1: Maybe, maybe. I is mean, that, the Avatar yeah, vacuum? Avatar made all the money for everyone. <laughs> the $2 yeah. billion,
0: So, so... Avatar, that's a good point. The vacuum cleaner it's just sucking yeah. all the money, so... That's a really good point.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. Because even... Something like Everything Everywhere, that was just purely word of mouth that got their film over the finish line. Yeah,
0: but... I, and it also was time of year, too. It was April, right? It was April. Yeah, that's true. So, April, May. So... I mean, there's sort not of that going pre-summer
1: on. blockbuster time period, which I think people are taking advantage of now. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a shame that all three of them are
0: bombing. Well, but it is what it is. Uh, Tar is currently mm. out in cinemas near you. We implore you to go watch it. Yes, in definitely do it. We just spoiled the shit out of it for you, but <laughs> but do it anyway. Speaking of cinemas, Jack, what's new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week?
1: Well, there's nothing coming to streaming, man. It's it's a ghost town. And all the services, you've got a Reese Witherspoon and Aston Kutcher film on Netflix called Your Place or Mine. It's these two long distance best friends. She decides to chase her lifelong dream, and he volunteers to look after her teenage son. Okay. So it's a friend zone situation, maybe. You're gonna have yep. to watch it to find out. But plenty coming to cinema, Zeke. It's very exciting. There are some films coming out this week. Okay. That are like. Wow didn't realise this this was a thing or that it was happening <laughs> as soon as it was. And I'll start... I, I know which one you're thinking of that I, I didn't know was a thing until an hour ago. But uh, I'm going to start off with Missing, which is the spiritual successor to the 2018 film Searching. And there's also, like, a digital found oh, film. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Is it's it still got... um, It's different characters. Okay. But, like, the, the, the cinematography and the way it's presented through laptop screens and security cameras and all that it's all the same from the trailer i quickly breezed okay. at it uh it is about a mother who disappears while on vacation with a new boyfriend and her daughter june searches for answers while hindered by international red tape and from her home thousands of miles away that's pretty cool that sounds awesome
0: that's so cool it's as tight as searching because searching was really it would have to be i imagine yeah i only thought the the ending was a little weak searching. oh you don't like the ending no oh I was emotional no, it was the it was the reveal. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right.
1: I know what you mean. Yeah, fair enough. No, that is sick. That is, I'm so, I'm so keen for that. Uh, you've also got Magic Mike's Last Dance, which is the <laughs> third film between uh, the Tatum and Soderbergh uh, joint franchise. Oh I God, suppose. I can't
0: believe those are Soderbergh films. They're, apparently, they're good. Well, at I've least, seen the at least first one. one of them are. It's not bad. The first one.
1: Okay, I've actually my friend Mel bought me the double collection. I've got it in here somewhere in the Blu Ray case. The Magic Mike duology. <laughs> we're going to need the third one now. <laughs> You've also got a film from the director of The Big Sick and the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Spoiler alert! Which sees Jim Parsons and Ben Albridge as a gay couple who come to terms with a cancer diagnosis. Seems pretty pretty standard fare, yeah. I guess, these days. You know, it is what it is. Uh, Corsage sees Empress Elizabeth of Austria when faced with the future of... Uh, strict ceremonies and royal duties, rebel against her public image. Sounds very Marie Antoinette-esque, doesn't it? Yeah, it it? does sound a little bit that way. Yeah. yeah. This other one I'm also very excited about, had no clue this was coming out, The Sun, the latest film from Florian Zeller. Of course, a golden chock-top winner, Florian Zeller. (laughs) I know. I wonder if The Sun
0: can live up to the same... uh, Same oomph as the father. Same oomph. And his third film,
1: The Holy Spirit. (laughs) <laughs> do you
0: actually imagine? Oh, God, I'm
1: waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. Anyway, the son sees Hugh Jackman as a father who must juggle between his new partner and baby, along with the arrival of his ex-wife and teenage son. This is a little Red Rocket-esque, actually. Now that I'm a it. little bit Red Rocket-esque? Titan? A little bit. A little Man, bit. Man, i got to watch Tangerine. Film. I've been meaning you to You do watch. need to watch Tangerine. It's great. Yeah. It's a great film. I actually film.
0: listened to a um director's talk about... um Oh, with Sean, Sean Baker? Michael. Yeah, when he released Red Rocket. Ah. I was just listening to... The Director's Guild of America. They have like oh, a podcast cool. on Spotify. Where yep. they just said like you know, that had like him on it. He's so interesting. Yeah. Like that to make so many films about that particular topic mm. or centered around that topic. Just like yes, yeah, cinema of the other Yeah. It's just some white dude.
1: <laughs> He's just some dude. Yeah. <laughs> well we we talked about that in our um, Florida project and Red Rock. We did those two back to back, episode one five five and one five six. one of them being a the director's corner. That... It really feels like he's able to tell these stories because he just has a big ear. Yeah. And he's able to just listen and interpret and 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 give give flexibility to these people to Absolutely. be their own on-screen representation. He's he's phenomenal. I got to watch that
0: or listen yeah. to it. I'll send it you a yeah. I'll send you a link to Excellent.
1: it. Excellent. I'd love to listen to that. And finally, not a new film, but they are rescreening Titanic in 3D. For I guess it's 25th anniversary is is what they're, they're counting go. it as.
0: I guess it kind of is. Late 97. Uh,
1: yeah. Early, oh, yeah, yeah. Early... Late 97. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's a little late. They were too busy playing Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 25-year
0: anniversary. There you go. He's well, only done,
1: like, three films in that time, anyway.
0: <laughs> I literally have... This is... um. I haven't been, obviously, watching this because we've been doing the podcast, but I've got... Avatar oh, is, is aching Avatar. behind the scenes.
1: <laughs> I like the idea of you just watching that while we did our Tar podcast. <laughs> yeah, oh.
0: I just... I find it so funny. Just that, Not to be too... Well, I guess this is career-related, but it's yeah. like trying to find um, influences for Avatar is like a bit of a reach, because you're like, what are the influences? It's like, we you watched Ferngully? Like. <laughs> no, it's like mythology and culture and this yeah. that and the other and well, there's a couple of I those like, people say I, it rips off it's but, fine yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. it's just interesting that he's very he's turning into another Ridley Scott kind of mm. guy where he's like my mythology is like my, myth- revolutionary. my myth- revolutionary yeah
1: no one can th- won't watch my film on a phone you <laughs> jackass <laughs>
0: <laughs> well speaking of James Carroll what are we watching next week on the show Jack <laughs>
1: next week we might as well watch Titanic
0: 25th anniversary edition (laughs) Titanic was called the ship of dreams
2: and it was it really was
0: give me your hand Trust me? I trust you. Open your eyes.
2: You're flying, Jack.
1: You never know what hand you're going to get
0: dealt next. learn to take life as it comes at you, to make each day count.
1: Seventeen-year-old Rose hails from an aristocratic family and is set to be married. But that future is challenged when she boards the Titanic and meets Jack Dawson. It's going to say man. Jake C- Cahill.
0: <laughs> Madman or genius. James Cameron.
1: Well, let's um, find out. I actually, did rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the last week. I forgot to mention that. Oh, nice. And it, it gets better and better and yeah. better
0: with every rewatch. But, I, I, I rewatched Avatar, so... There, there you go. Um, we both skipped it. <laughs> Still in Way of Order. Probably we'll just wait until it comes uh, to Disney+. Plus. It'll
1: be on Disney+, Plus soon. Yeah. I'm sure it will. But, in- yeah, we're going to do Titanic. Yeah, really? I've never
0: yeah. seen Titanic.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah,
0: so this would be great. I'll tick a Blacklist movie off, mm. which is always nice. Indeed, and
1: and I will say, I think it's pretty excellent. I didn't see this till... I mean, th- this is like one of those films I always joke with. It's like, I did three years of film school before I even watched Titanic. That's always like a like a name drop I like to do, but I I thought it was generally pretty excellent.
0: Yeah, but so, it's like one of those things, isn't it? Because it's it's like, so famous that yeah. And you almost it's like the Notebook. I haven't seen either. Maybe I'll watch both in the next week. Oh, there you go. Not the Notebooks.
1: Notebook's not not too bad either.
0: Yeah, not too bad. But, I mean, I
1: mean, it, we just like it, it's these big romantic love stories. We guys like to hate those and. I think it's
0: a, probably yeah. what it I mean, is. I'm, I'm equally as fatigued by the giant action thing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I m- just it might like be good to go back about people talking exactly, or exactly.
1: um, drawing each other naked. Yes, better. like French girls. Until then, thank it's you the for joining us for the cinema side trip podcast. I was
0: Zeke, I was Jake. and we'll catch you next week with James Cameron's Titanic.
2: Oh no, I'm sinking. <laughs> 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 the
0: iceberg because of all the ice.